would say, try to listen to the climate scientists. Um, and I think what we already experienced today is like climate disaster all over the world. Um, with terrible floods, like in Pakistan last year, or in Libya, the heat waves, the wildfires in Canada. Um, I think no one can escape uh, the reality any longer. Uh, and climate scientists tell us that if we want to limit those impacts, we need to stop emitting fossil fuels. And this is the critical decade. We are already like on, on one third of the critical decade, but it should happen now if we want to reach the 1.5 and I would say even the, the, the two degrees. We have to act now. Welcome to Sustainability in the Air, the world's first podcast dedicated to sustainable aviation. I'm your host, Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simply Flying. Every Thursday, I have important conversations with top aviation executives, technology entrepreneurs, and policymakers helping aviation take climate action. Conversations that help separate the signal from the noise. Whether you are a frequent flyer or an airline executive, if you care about sustainability or simply love traveling, welcome aboard. This season of Sustainability in the Air is brought to you by Travelport. Travelport is a global technology firm that powers bookings for hundreds of thousands of travel suppliers worldwide. The company's travel retailing marketplace Travelport Plus helps retailers understand and communicate the most sustainable options. When it comes to sustainability in travel, it can be difficult for travelers and agents to identify which flights, routes and accommodations are the greenest. That's why Travelport empowers its agents to operate as modern retailers of sustainable travel, giving them the ability to access consistent emissions data using the travel impact model. Travelport is also exploring solutions to help travel retailers offer carbon compensation and nature regeneration to their customers. In this episode, I speak with Hiske Arts, a Dutch climate activist and campaigner with Fossil Free Netherlands. Some of you might recognize Fossil Free Netherlands as the organization that has successfully brought KLM to court for greenwashing claims. I wanted to understand from Hiske, what is it that makes climate activists so angry and so much against aviation? Hiske calmly, not angrily, calmly explains to me what are the key arguments that climate activists have against airlines and growth at all costs. This will make good conversations and good discussions in the boardroom as well as amongst the investors, among us who are flying. So enjoy this conversation and I hope this gives you food for thought. Hiske, welcome to the show. Can you please tell our listeners who you are, what your organization does and the journey that led you into climate activism. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you for inviting me on your show. Uh, my name is Hiske um, and I am a climate activist, um, as I think many uh, of the listeners would call me. Uh, I have been worried about the heating of the world for, for a long time. Uh, and I think it took me quite long to, and perhaps even too long to get really into action. Uh, and three years ago, in the midst of the pandemic, um, I decided to make the jump and became campaigner um, at Fossil Free Netherlands, uh, 
which is a small um, but I think strong people-powered movement in the Netherlands. And I first started as a campaigner for our ABP fossil free campaign, which led to the divestment um, of coal, gas and oil producers, uh, to the divestment um, of pension fund ABP, which is one of the biggest pension funds in the world. Um, I'm campaigning on fossil subsidies, on ING Bank, and we are doing a lawsuit against KLM's misleading ads uh, ads, uh, on sustainability. And I think this is also one of the reasons why I'm on your show right now. Well, I think you might very well be one of the most provocative guests I've ever had on the show. So I'm <laughs> looking forward to this, uh, this conversation. Let's start with your point. You know, you, you say you're a climate activist. You three years ago became a climate activist. What is it that you are trying to say to airline and aviation industry executives? What is your main point? I think the main point is that I'm trying to say is, I think I'm actually quite skeptical that, that that your audience is going to listen to me as a climate uh, uh, activist, but I would say try to listen to the climate scientists. Um, and I think what we already experienced today is like climate disaster all over the world um, with terrible floods, like in Pakistan last year, or in Libya, the heat waves, the wildfire, wildfires in Canada. Um, I think no one can escape uh, the reality any longer. Uh, And climate scientists tell us that if we want to limit those impacts, we need to stop emitting fossil fuels. And this is the critical decade. We are already like on on one third of the critical decade, but it should happen now if we want to reach the 1.5. And I would say even the the, the two degrees, we have to act now. Um, And the IPCC is saying that we need to halve emissions by 2030. And yet the emissions of aviation are still rising, except for the pandemic, which were the times that the planes stayed on the ground. Um, I think those were the years uh, that the aviation industry had less emissions. And I think that if we continue on our current path of emissions, we we will have run out of our carbon budget to keep the temperature limited to 1.5 in already six years' time. And this is on the basis of 50% certainty. But if we want to be like really certain that we will stay under two degrees of warming, we will be without any carbon budget in less than 18 years if we stay on this path of emissions. And yet the aviation industry is still planning to grow. And I would ask them, how is this possible? Okay, I think there's a lot to unpack here. Firstly, I would like to ask, what is the carbon budget? For those who might not be aware, what is the carbon budget and why should we care? Yeah, so um, we all know that the world is heating because of the CO2 emissions and equivalents. Um, and um, scientists have looked like how much carbon budget do we have left? Like how much CO2 emissions we can still have if we want the temperature to keep the temperature limited to 1.5 degrees or say even two, um, uh, to two degrees. And that is a very limited amount that we still have. Um, and I think we all have to remember that emissions are cum- cumulative. So every year um, we are having a high amount of emissions um, we need to reduce emissions steeper and steeper, like in the next years. So avoiding 
And like delaying emission reductions means we have to go faster, like later on. And I think what is happening in the aviation industry is that they, they still think that we can continue to emit emissions in the next decades. And then perhaps like later, like 2050, perhaps they have in some magical innovation kind of way solved the problem. But that will be too late because then we have like used all the carbon budget we have left. Um, and I think that is really alarming. Okay, so to make this clearer for those who may not be coming from a climate science background, am I right to say the carbon budget is like a bathtub which is filling up? And the the whole I wouldn't say it's plugged, but you know, the drain is very, very small. So and and the tap is running at full, you know, at full throttle. So the the bathtub is about to overflow, and hence a carbon budget tells us. Here's when you turn the tap off so the bathtub doesn't overflow. Is that a right analogy? Yeah, I think it's good. And if you if you keep it like this, like it's it's now, like how it's pouring out now. So in six years' times we have passed 1.5, and in 18 years' times we have passed the two degrees. Just to just to characterize this once again for for those who may be coming at this from without any knowledge, why is 1.5 degrees or two degrees so important? I mean we. It's, it's turning to be fall in the northern hemisphere now. The temperature dropped three degrees, four degrees o- overnight. It gets hotter, two degrees. Does it really matter? I mean, yes, there, there, there are disasters happening, but will you, will we really feel it? 1.5 degrees or two degrees? Yeah. And this is what climate scientists tell, uh, tell us that it really matters. And this is also the reason why the IPCC came out with like like big reports saying that we need to focus on the 1.5. It's really important to reach. And I think that if you look around us and we see all the climate impacts already happening today, and we know that, that we are still continuing, uh, I think this is like a really scary thought. If we realize that um, it might be possible that we are going to reach tipping points, which make it go faster and faster and faster, um, I think there is like very much reason to be um, yeah, to go as quick as possible. Um, and I think that the difference um, between um, between all those temperatures is like hundreds of millions of people like suffering more droughts and more fires, um, the rise of the oceans um, that is going to lead to all those people living in coastal areas. I think it is undisputable. We, we all now see and feel the effect of climate change. I myself, I'm a Canadian and I have seen the impacts of the forest fires we've had both in British Columbia last year, uh, as well as uh, the ones that blanketed New York City this year uh, from Canada as well. Um, and, and and have friends and family in different, in different parts of the world. Now, let me put on my airline executive hat. As you know, Simply Flying works with airlines. And in the past 15 years or so, we've worked with about 100 airlines and airports globally. One of the big arguments is, hey, why are you coming after us? Because the aviation industry is just over 2% of global emissions. You've got much bigger sectors to worry about. The UK has just approved uh, some oil drilling. Germany is running on coal. I mean, th- there are way bigger industries contributing to global uh, warming. Aviation is something that makes the world smaller, that makes the world better. Why are you coming after us? We're just 2%. 
I think it's not 2%. I think uh, according to ICCT from world to real, it's, it's a 2.9%. And then it ex- ex- excludes the non-CO2 effects, which makes it even higher. And I think actually that's quite high for only one sector. Um, but I think it's really like, it's really not true that we are only coming after the aviation industry. And I think there is so much action going on against oil fields and gas. And I'm campaigning on fossil subsidies, which are also about like, heating um, and about building, about cement. I am spending my days on doing all kind of activism. But as soon as you start addressing aviation, um, then the, the aviation sector is saying, oh, they only come coming after us. I don't think it's true. It's We are working on all the fields. The aviation industry does have a big problem, however. Many fields have a feasible way to become sustainable. And the aviation industry has a difficulty with the physics, um, with the fact that it's really difficult to make aviation sustainable. And because it's so difficult to aviation, to make aviation sustainable, the aviation industry tends to say aviation is hard to abate. So leave us alone. But I don't think that's true. I don't think the aviation sector is like should be left alone but it's hard to regulate it's not really hard to abate it's hard to regulate and i think if we start regulation regulating the aviation industry then also the aviation industry can be aligned with paris right so we will come to regulations in just a minute and and mandates and incentives let's let's still continue on the argument that aviation firstly is too small of a percentage globally. But also, airlines have been taking some significant measures. So, for example, uh, in the past 50 years, fuel efficiency of airplanes has dramatically improved. Uh, if you look at noise reduction of newer airplanes compared to older airplanes, I mean, you're, you're in Amsterdam, so you know how the KLM had, had those uh, MD-11s uh, with the engines at the back, the noisy engines, compared to the new 787s they might be flying. It's way quieter, way more efficient. Uh, there are operational efficiencies that we're seeking out as well. Um, and all of this is adding up. So I agree that airline industry is hard to decarbonize. We, you can book an Uber Green today and a Tesla pulls up. You can't board an electric plane tomorrow. But there are steps that have been taken by industry executives and actually they've been audited by the likes of SBTI and other science-based organizations. But I believe you, have, you, you are critical of airlines auditing themselves um, on, on these targets as well. Why is that? Yeah, I think there's one thing that is really crucial to understand and, and that is that the, the world or like the heating of the planet, it cares about absolute emissions. It does not care about relative emissions. It is really good if planes become more efficient. Great. Um, But if you are going to get so many more planes in the air, and because of that, the absolute emissions are rising, the temperature will still be rising. So I think you are misguiding yourself by focusing on relative emissions. They are important, but in the end, it is about absolute emissions. Um, and then, yeah, um, I can come to SPTI if you want. I can say something about that because SPTI is like one of the, the main institutes that are like setting and like approving targets of airlines. Um, and I think the main issue that I have with SPTI that it's not truly science based. 
Um, they say they are the science-based target initiative. It's in the name. It's in the name. And I think that is so misleading because they are not based on the best science on aviation. Um, and to give an example, they recently launched a new technical report for a 1.5 degrees pathway. Um, and and they, in this pathway, they say aviation can like, like only needs to uh, start um, reducing its emissions after 2030. But as you remember, like what I told you, if we continue on the same pathway as we are now, like then we will be already be out of our carbon budget for the 1.5 degrees in 2030. We won't, there won't be a chance that we are going to reach it. Um, and I think that is just incredible that they are delaying um, um, these emissions reductions. They don't look at the non-CO2 effects. Um, they allocate more carbon budget to the aviation industry than to other sectors. While that is a political decision, not a science-based decision, the science cannot say aviation industry should have a bigger part of the uh, carbon budget than it currently has. This is this can be said, but if it's said, it should be made like a decision by politicians. Um, it bases itself on those relative emissions, not on the absolute emissions, um, which, as I said, I think is really weird. It has just one pathway for both the, the early industrialized economies, but also the same pathway for emerging economies. Well, I think we can all understand that in particular, like in the early industrialized economies, we should reduce much faster than in up upcoming economies. So I think there are like so many reasons why this pathway doesn't work. And, and perhaps like one last thing to add, SBTI only looks at targets, but they don't look on whether aviation uh, companies are actually lobbying against the measures that are needed to reach the uh, pathway. So for example, for example, you can set your targets, you can lobby against all the regulations that are needed to reach the pathway, and you can still get this approvement uh, of SBTI um, because they don't look at this. And I think that is just, ah, I, 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 I think it's so problematic. It's incredibly problematic. I hear you. I hear you. So you're saying, how can the same airline be SBTI verified and certified if they are still lobbying against the same measures? So let's let's bring a case in point. You, of course, are now well known because you took the Dutch national airline KLM to court, um, and uh, you know for for misleading passengers uh, specifically. Um, Fossil Free Netherlands, which is, uh, you know, your organization. You know, I, I appreciate you may be limited by, by what you can say, but I wonder if you could tell us what happened to lead you to taking legal action against one of your, I mean, your national airline. And KLM has been a beacon of, you know, the, the Flying Dutchman for a hundred years, the, one of the world's oldest airlines, one of the worst, world's best known airline brands. Why would you take such a drastic step and take them to court? Yeah, I think that like um, the aviation industry is a big consumer of fossil fuels, and they will remain. Uh, they will they will be this big consumer, and I, they might even use more fossil fuels in the future than they are doing right now. They don't have a feasible alternative. 
And yet, yet despite this problem, um, they are misleading us with all these green advertisements. And I think this leads to a couple of things. But the most important thing is it hampers real climate action. Because if we believe in um, the green uh, talk of the aviation industry, then we don't demand like regulation um, of the aviation industry. Then people... People get on a plane because they don't realize how big the problem is uh, of flying. Um, and I think it's really, and I think that the, the airlines, that they have taken over the greenwashing tactics from the fossil fuel industry, which we have been fought for years. Um, and for us, it was quite a logical step to go from like the, the producers of fossil fuels to one of the biggest consumers of fossil fuels that use the same tactics and to say, hey, on the very, very least, they should start telling the truth. They should not lie about the product, about their future pathways. They should not lull us into sleep. Um, because in this way, they are like they are um, uh, helping the climate crisis <laughs> unfold. Uh, and to increase emissions because it will hamper climate uh, action. So we think that like stopping the greenwashing of the aviation industry is really essential, both because consumers need to make the right decision, but also because the governments are not going to regulate if they are believing the empty promises of green flying. So let's dive a little bit deeper into this. You're, of course, passionate about this um... I respect KLM as an airline. In fact, KLM is one of the featured airlines in my upcoming book on sustainable aviation. You are also quoted, by the way, because of, of the legal battle that's going on in the book. Um, and if I recall correctly, KLM was celebrating its 100th anniversary. And as part of that, they said, oh, in the next 100 years, we wish to make flying greener and hence fly greener. And, and they did some campaigns around that. They were say, stating their intent. They weren't saying or they weren't, I would say, in, in your words, lulling anyone to believe that flying is green. They are saying they're making efforts to be greener. Um, it's relative. So where where does the dilemma come in? Yeah, I think like one thing that we have to be really uh, uh, clear about is um, our lawsuit is not about the launch of Fly Responsibly, but about a relaunch of Fly Responsibly, about that campaign. And in that campaign, they made um, a video clip, for example, and an accompanying like website. And in that, they said, hey, we all care about the world. We think it's really important to protect it. Um, I don't, don't remember the exact words at this moment, but um, it's really important. Um, and we are taking steps um, for a more sustainable future. And I think what they are trying to say, and I think it, it kind of like fits to the narrative you were saying, they, they do talk about like in future flying maybe green, but they do connect it to Paris. They do connect it to reaching the climate goals. And for the climate goals, they don't care about what is happening over 100 years or 50 years or in 2050. It is about what is happening right now with our emissions. Um, and I think they are not telling that part of the story. So they are focusing on future possible innovations that might not even happen. Um, they, and, and in that way, I think they are trying to get you on board of the airplane by saying, we are taking care of this together with the entire industry. We are going to work really hard and we are taking care of the future. But it's, they are not, at least admit 
the fact that it's not, and it's you're probably not going to reach it. And I think this is really important that airlines are taking steps that they can take, but they should be like really like honest um, and and like um, yeah, speak the truth um, about the. The, the, the climate urgency, because many people don't know. Many people don't know what it actually means to reach climate targets. They do know, or at least they should have the people in-house who know. So tell the honest story. Right. So you, you felt that the story that was shared by Kaelin was incomplete and hence misleading. Now, you're, of course, in court. If you win, what do you want to achieve out of this? Like what, you know... It, what is it that you would like to see happen, both short and long term, from this lawsuit? Yeah, so I think that this lawsuit is important because, like, um, greenwashing or sustainable marketing is aviation's industry license to grow. Um, if they can convince everyone that they are green, it is possible for the industry to still grow. Um, and this is, I think, why it's really important for them to do all this green marketing. Um, and I think it's really if if we win um, and if the, the court says that um, what KLM has been doing um, is misleading um, and this focus on a, on a number of things, it focuses on the pathway to the future, it focuses on CO2 compensation, and it also focuses on the idea of more sustainable, while in fact they mean less polluting. Um, if we win on these three steps, I think it's a really strong signal to airlines all over the world. It's also a really strong signal to climate activists in other places and to regulators in other places. We have already seen that the European Consumer Organization has also, based upon our case, um, taken um, a complaint to the, to the European level, to European airlines. Um, so it will have an effect on the wider, uh, I hope it will have an effect on the wider aviation field and inspire others to also take action against their uh, airline in their vicinity um, to make sure that that, that, that that no airline is going to greenwash any longer. And at least we can have like the truthful story about the impact of aviation and its impact in the future. Okay, so this is just as much about a signal, sending a signal to the industry as it is about, you know, telling KLM what they did right, according to you or, or, or wrong. Um, there's a second part of this as well, which is the Amsterdam Schiphol flight caps. Um, they have been in the news a lot where uh, Amsterdam Schiphol Airport and the Dutch government has introduced flight caps. KLM opposes it. You, of course, support it. But instead of a blanket cap, I mean, which seems like a blunt instrument to abate noise or, or pollution, shouldn't there be heavy restrictions on, let's say, the most polluting or, or older kind of aircrafts that would then incentivize the introduction of newer and more efficient uh, planes, which are also quieter and, and less polluting? Wouldn't that be more effective? And then, you know, you have to stop fighting uh, all, all of these parties against each other? Yeah, well, you make it an either-or question. I would say let's make it an end-to-end uh, uh, thing. Um, because I think, yeah, clearly, I mean, I would stop, as uh, Schiphol should stop, like, uh, accepting the most polluting airplanes, definitely. But the thing is, it's not only about that. Um, if you look at the Schiphol cap, it's not only about CO2, it's not only about noise. Um, there is an issue of nitrogen, it's uh, an issue of pollution. To be fair, the case is about noise, mainly. 
Um, but the reality of Schiphol is there are like so many problems around aviation in the Netherlands. Um, and there are like 200,000 people living in the neighborhood of Schiphol um, who are uh, experiencing extreme annoyance of, of the noise. This is it's just a densely populated uh, country. Um, and those people, they say that they are, uh, it's the frequency that bothers them the most, that they can't sleep during the night, that it never stops, that it continues all the time. So they also need the number of flights to go down. Then there is this huge issue of nitrogen in the Netherlands. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's this big crisis. And because of this crisis, actually the judge has said the nitrogen level needs to um, go down now uh, because nature needs to be uh, protected, biodiversity needs to be protected. And as long as it's not happening, there can't even be building of new projects, like housing projects. Um, because first, the level of nitrogen needs to go down. And of course, the airlines need to, the aviation industry needs to contribute its share. Then, then we have the, the pollution of flying. And then there is the CO2 emissions of aviation and the Paris alignment and the fact that in the Netherlands, uh, the share of aviation uh, in the CO2 emissions is not like 2 or 3%, but it's 7%. And it should go down. So... Um, there are so many issues coming together, and I think that KLM um, is really happy that it's only like this very limited cap. I think the cap should be like much stronger if you take into account all these issues where we need to make steps. Um, and I find it like hugely problematic that KLM, its allies, like in total, like 27 lawyers uh, were in the courthouse to fight this cap that they are all fighting this cap. And at the same hand, like uh, KLM is portraying itself as the most responsible uh, airline and they are taking so many steps um, in terms of sustainability. I just can't combine those two things. I hear you. Those two stories don't, you know, don't jive well if, if they are running in parallel. Um, it, it can't be the left hand and, and, and right hand. But I... I I'm honestly finding this discussion a bit depressing, and I'll tell you why. Um, you're you're portraying aviation as the villain, and I'll, I'd like to offer a counterpoint. I live in London. I've got my parents who live in Canada. My grandmother lives in India. Um, there is no way to see them for me than to fly. Um, what do you say in response to people who say that without air travel, they can't do simple things like seeing their family? And this is something that I can personally relate to. Yeah, but this is, I think, this is also what I relate to. And I, I, I this, um, and you said that for me, aviation is like the complete villain. Uh, and I don't think that's like completely true because if aviation was sustainable, I would also fly um, to places. But as I care more about like a livable planet, I don't fly. Uh, and I understand that for people with family in other places, this is really difficult. And that is why we should focus on the people who fly excessively, like on the frequent flyers. And I think this is something that really bothers me, that there are so many loyalty programs, like also KLM has loyalty programs where they say to people, well, they pretend that responsible flying is very important to them, but they are like having all those loyalty pro uh, programs in which they actually award people who fly the most. 
Um, what you see in the aviation industry is that there is a focus on um, business flying um, and to make it in particular like more comforting for people to fly. Um, and I think we all know that, that, that the, the business flying emits far more CO2. Uh, uh, and I think it was, it's, it's already like 20% of airline CO2 is coming from this business flying, which is a, a huge thing. So if we want to focus on aviation, let's focus on the frequent flyer first. Let's try to get those emissions down. Let's get rid of all the ridiculous short flights that we don't need, where we have like train alternatives, uh, in particular in Europe. I mean, there are like enough alternatives uh, to do, but there's still like four times a day a, a, a flight from Amsterdam to Brussels four times a day. I think that is like really ridiculous. Um, so let's make sure that we don't have, yeah, in, in like the bullshit flights. I don't know, like the, the polite term, but we should get rid of all the flying that is unnecessary. So to make sure that we have carbon budget left for flying that is necessary. And that is also for help trips or to get medicine all over the country. Of course, we need like flying, but we have to find alternatives for all those flying that is not necessary. So you're saying something like what the French government has recently enacted. They passed a law which would limit, uh, which would actually not allow flights uh, where there's an alternative uh, train for, I think, uh, less than two hours or, or so. Um, are you suggesting a similar measure for other places as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and I think it's it has been really watered down in France. Um, but I think these are really like important measures. Um, at the same time, we I think we also as climate activists um, we should be aware that most of the emissions are from the long haul flights. Um, and I think it's really important to stop those short haul flights but i am afraid that it's going to be replaced by long haul flights and mm -hmm. that would actually mean an increase in emissions so i do think we have to do it smart we have to stop those flights that are like short um, but at the same time make sure that the amount of slots is then also being limited otherwise we are increasing um, the problem we are making now that, that's a tough one the moment we go global right if we are looking at only a specific region in Europe, for example, uh, then it might be doable, let's say Amsterdam or, or France or even Germany. The moment you go to Norway, it's hard with all the islands that they've got there. If you go to other areas of the world, from from the Philippines and all the islands in Indonesia, to we go to a place like India. India has a lot of cranes, but just over 1% of Indians have flown internationally. And I don't think in the Western world, we have a right to say, oh, people in India shouldn't fly because there's a carbon budget when only 1% of them have flown internationally. Uh, what do you say to that? Yeah, I am a campaigner here. I am not comp a campaigner in India. So I'm telling people to, to our countries that already used our share of the carbon budget that we have to move first. And I think that is really important um, in terms of climate justice, um, that we are the ones that emits that, that that stop having these huge emissions. Um, so the focus should be on our countries. Um, on the same time, I think we we do, and I think it's 
it's so unfair, like how it has been distributed, but we have this big issue. Um, I didn't like um, make up the climate emergency. I mean, it's not there because I want it to be there. Um, but the fact is, if we start emitting it, it will be the worst for those people who are already in like more difficult circumstances uh, and who are more poor. And um, yeah, but it, it all comes down to, I think we in, in, in um, rich industrialized, early industrialized countries, we need to move fast. Right. I, I hear you. Um, going back to an earlier point we discussed, you mentioned growth cannot happen. Airline industry shouldn't be growing. But the reality is that almost all the growth is coming from developing countries. It's not coming necessarily from Europe or from North America. You've got Turkish Airlines that has a 600 plane order. You've got airlines in India, which have over 500 planes ordered. So the growth is coming from developing countries. And we can't really do much about it, given that you are limiting your focus to the developed countries or or in Europe. But I think it's not true. I mean, the, um, also KLM is still planning to grow 1.9%. Um, and I think it, everywhere in Europe and in North America, they are still planning to grow. I, I haven't heard of any country that is not planning to grow. And as long as we haven't stopped planning to grow, then of course, like in Turkey or in India, they are not thinking about like uh, stopping growth. We really need to move first. We have to change the narrative. And I think that it's really important to understand growth of aviation is not a law of nature. It is not something that is there, but it's made and it's created. Uh, it's done by all the advertising that the aviation industry is doing. I mean, you don't need advertising if you want to go to see your family. I mean, that doesn't help, but we see advertising all the time to make this trip to a beautiful island or uh, to go to Greece or to Barcelona, to Madrid, Um we should stop those advertisements. There is an intense lobby uh, against regulation and taxation. And there are all these lawsuits that airlines and airports are doing at the moment that the government tries to regulate them for a tiny, tiny, tiny bit. They start to fight with uh, tooth and nail. So the, the, it's not a law of nature that, that uh, aviation is growing. It's made, it's, it's a created growth. And because it's created, we can also try to find ways to stop it. And this is going to be the most effective climate measures measure that we can take on the short term. And it is about the short term because this is the critical decade. I hear you on the timing. I agree, fully agree that this is the critical decade. I also agree that developed countries must take the lead when it comes to asking these questions. Um, and, and frequent flyers definitely should be questioning. Um, uh, I have myself been very conscious about my travel since I first ever calculated my own you know, carbon footprint. Um, I remember a few years ago, I had taken 75 flights in a year. And that, was, that completely skewed my entire carbon footprint. And I then brought it down to 45 just before COVID. And then last year, I flew 15 times. No, not 15 times. I had 15 flights total um, in, in the whole year. So, and I'm still part of the industry. I'm still working within the industry. And yes, I agree as frequent flyers, we need to be conscious about our travels. We need to ask the questions. Um, we need to see if there are alternate routes uh, that can fly uh, as well via train or, or a bus or, or, or some other means of transport. 
What about the EU mandates? Uh, the European Union, of course, has very strong mandates uh, that airlines are working together with the EU on from uh, sustainable aviation fuel to grants around electric uh, planes and hydrogen. What do you think of that? Do you think those are effective? I think it's important to unpack it. Um, let, let's see. The target for 2030 um, is 6% um, of alternative fuels. Um, and, and let's assume um, that biofuels leads to a 75% reduction of CO2. And it does not lead to deforestation. It does not read, lead to any other risks that are often like brought up by biofuels. Um, and this means if you t- look at that percentage, like of the 6%, target in 2030, the 75% reduction of CO2. This means that like the overall emission emission reduction of this uh, new EU mandate is like 2.2% in 2030 for the European level. While at the same time, the aviation industry in Europe plans to grow around a similar percentage each year. And then Again, why can't we talk about a combination of measures in combination with a talk, a honest or a a fair talk about the growth of aviation? So this measure, and I think there are many difficult things with using biofuels and also with using um, e-fuels, because um, both could actually lead to um, an increase of emission because of uh, all the dangers connected to it, um, if crops are being used um, or if um, uh, energy is going to e-fuels that could have been like more effective, effectively used for other means. Um, but I think um, that it's good to have this mandate because at least um, uh, it creates a level playing field. Uh, It means that everyone has to contribute. I think it also is going to increase the price of fuel. And I think that is good because we need like more uh, fair taxation, but it's not going to solve the problem. Um, And it's going to be really hard to rebuild uh, the alternative fuels from this 6%. Um, And until now, all targets have not been met. Um, so I'm really skeptical uh, on how this is going to contribute. Yeah, so it's kind of a mixed answer. I think it is good, even though I am really worried that it's going to have side effects that might make the problem bigger. Um, but it's definitely not the solution for this critical decade where we need to reduce emissions now. So I have a final question, uh, Heske. Do you think there's a common ground here between yourself and other climate activists and aviation and airlines airlines want to exist many want to grow is there a common ground here where airlines can exist thrive provide the value they do to humanity and still be meeting climate goals they are not meeting climate goals as long as they are growing a climate goal is not about a far future. A climate goal is about now. It's about what we're doing right now. It's not about 2050. I think really, like, let's forget about 2050. It has been a lie reinvented to postpone action. Um, but your question is, like, common ground. I think, like, within within the aviation industry, um, I do believe there are many people who are deeply worried about the climate. And I also believe that there are many people that want to contribute 
to a truly sustainable world and that they believe in what they are doing is very good. Um, and it's also necessary. I mean, I, I'm all in favor of all kinds of innovations. And I think we should continue with like developing ele- electric planes or hydrogen or uh, don't stop this development of all these things. Like, like this is really important that we do it. But I do think that those people um, who are working on it, they should go to their colleagues uh, on the strategy uh, department, on the legal department, on the, um, the, the marketing department, and to say that they need to stop doing what they are doing right now. And I think that, that the work that those people who truly work on sustainability is being undone by all those colleagues that are pushing for growth and that are, for, that are fighting, for example, the capital slip hole or that lobby against the taxation of kerosene or that are lobbying against a ban on fossil fuel advertisements. So I would say to those people who work in the industry, if you really want to find common ground, do your work that is really important. Try to make your, your airline uh, less polluting. But at the same time, come with us, with the climate uh, activists, and lobby for real taxation. Um, lobby with us for a ban on fossil fuel advertisements. Accept the fact that we need degrowth. Don't fight it. Uh, let the aviation industry be regulated create this fair uh, level playing field for all the airlines. But yeah, I, and, and then I, I think we can find like real common ground. It's not like a fight against the people within the airlines. It's really about a fight against like the entire like system of, yeah, the system of, of thinking. There's a question I ask every guest before we uh, finish up is what gives you the most hope? Do you think the aviation industry can get to net zero. What gives you hope? If there's a glimmer of hope, what gives you the most hope that we can get there? Uh, it gives me loads of hope that things can change. And I remember like one thing, I used to fly like a long time ago, but still at that time, people were like smoking in an airplane. I, I think, and, and you can't, I, I can't, and everywhere, they were smoking in trains and in, in cafes and everywhere. And suddenly... We decided we are not going to do this any longer and it stopped. And now you can just like the the social norms have changed. And it it gives me so much hope that I think that norms can change far more quickly than we think uh, and than we expect. Um, And I do think that with the reality kicking in of the climate emergency um, going on, I think um, the moment is here that we are going to um, accept the reality that we need to change the way we are doing things right now. Uh, and that gives me hope that it can go very quickly. Thank you. Uh, I, I always love to end on a, on a positive note. Um, I'll tell you why I'm hopeful as well. I've been working within aviation for 15 years now. And like I said, we've worked with airlines all over the world. What gives me hope is, yes, there are lots of challenges airlines face, both in terms of their sustainability journey, as well as regional uh, issues. But there's not a single issue that they face that there isn't a solution that's not being worked on. So you look at non-CO2 effect. There's a company in uh, in the UK, Satavia, that is looking at contrail uh, management. There there are studies being done by MIT and uh, Google and American Airlines on contrail reduction. That can potentially reduce the warming effect of aviation by up to 50% tomorrow, not 50 years from now. Uh, there uh, is a 
supposedly over 5% of fuel burn of an aircraft is on the ground when they're taxiing just because engines are running. And there's a company in, in the U.S. which is working to do no engine taxi so that you save 5 to 7% of fuel burn tomorrow, not 50 years from now. And there are also very encouraging programs being worked up, uh, upon like electric aircraft, hard aerospace uh, in, in Sweden or MAVE uh, in Netherlands, actually, uh, not too far from you. Uh, there is the incentives being given by the US IRA has led to a huge development opportunity for sustainable aviation fuels as well as hydrogen uh, of late. So there are glimmers of hope and sparks of creativity and innovation that are coming up all around. I agree with you that the aviation industry leaders need to and must pay attention to some of the arguments you have made today, Heske, because these are not to be ignored. They are to be addressed. They are to be acknowledged. And then we should work towards them. I don't believe that the airline industry is ignoring these claims. They should be taken into account and they should be embraced and taken as part of the plans going forward. I will be very honest. I do not think every airline executive will embrace degrowth as easily as you said it. It's been part of the fabric of the industry for decades, ever since the industry began. And maybe that's where some developed countries with a very high propensity of international air travel can take lead and the others can then follow. So I found this very encouraging, uh, Hiske. The final uh, part of this interview is a bit more personal. Um, in which we get to know you uh, a, a bit uh, better as an individual. And I've got a few simple questions. Uh, you know, like, for example, what's your favorite book? Uh, I love the books of Colson Whitehead. Um, they all take like, like the historical injustices in, in the United States. And he, he makes such uh, devastating books uh, about those. Colson Whitehead. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I will definitely check it out. What about your favorite movie? I used to be a, um, uh, I studied conflict studies uh, and peace studies. Um, and um, there's a movie, No Man's Land, um, which shows the absurdity of the war in Bosnia. I, I thought it was really good. And in particular, with what is going on in Israel and Palestina right now, it, it just it came to my mind again. Okay. How stuck we can get into it. No Man's Land. I, will, I wasn't aware. I will definitely look into it. What about your favorite city? It, I think it's New York City. Okay. Uh, I, I lived there for three months, uh, like uh, 10 years ago. Uh, and if there was no climate emergency, I would have gone back. But now I was... So if you were to go back to your favorite city in 10 years from now, how would you like to go there? Uh, I, I don't think I'm going there. <laughs> I, I think we just have to grasp with, with what, is, what the reality is. I mean, I, I, I can't go there if it's not really necessary. And luckily... Uh, even though it's my favorite city, I have like many other favorite uh, cities. And I also like Berlin and I also like Budapest and I also like Madrid and Barcelona. And I can all get there by train in a with beautiful travels. So no need for me. To- <laughs> I will not ask you what's your favorite airline. I think we have covered that in this um, in this interview amply. Uh, what is something you will want to learn, Heske? Uh, I, I went snorkeling uh, or uh, diving this uh, summer. Where did you go? I went with a train to Greece. From wow. And, and uh, yeah, I would like that um, to, to learn how to, do, how to dive. 
Okay. Um, definitely interesting because I'm, I'm curious where else you can go by train to diving spots from, from the Netherlands. Um, what, <laughs> what is the best advice you've received? I was really afraid to join the climate movement uh, like three years ago because I thought, oh, it would like depress me so much to work on this topic like all day long. But actually, I think it's not like that because as, as you, when you start working on it, it becomes like actually more manageable um, because you have the feeling that you at least like you're doing something. Um, and it's, I had a friend who said, don't be afraid, but just make the jump into the climate world. I think it will be good for you. And I think he was really right. Um, I am less, I'm not less worried, but I'm, I'm like more capable of dealing with the worry than I was before. I'm glad, uh, glad to know. Um, if we speak a year from now and we are popping champagne, what are we celebrating? Oh, uh, we are definitely celebrating that KLM is not allowed to uh, greenwash any longer. <laughs> oh boy, oh boy. I I wonder how well this episode is going to go down with my listeners. <laughs> I... But, uh, but let, me, let me say one other thing. I would also like um, to celebrate with you that we have a worldwide ban on uh, on fossil fuel advertisement and aviation advertisement. Because I think it's really ridiculous that at this time, we are still trying to get extra people on a plane while there is a climate emergency going on. So I would love to celebrate that with you um, in a year. Fossil fuel ban, I'm in. Airline advertising ban, I need to work my way up there. <laughs> okay, I'm, I'm quite sure about that. <laughs> All right, Hiske, thank you so much for being honest and open. And I would say brave in this conversation, as you always have been. Uh, I admire brave people and I appreciate the discussion that you're bringing to the industry. And I think it makes us all better to be open to differing points of view. And I appreciate you sharing your views today. Thank you. I really appreciate the invitation for me to come here. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sustainability in the Air. Aviation is one of the hardest to decarbonize industries, yet there are multiple paths to get to net zero. Awareness is key to a green future. So please give us your support to help our sustainable aviation insights reach a wider audience. You can do this by sharing this episode on your network on LinkedIn, Twitter, or even WhatsApp. Or perhaps you might consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to this episode. You can start a conversation with us by writing to us at podcast at simplifying, that's simply with an I, dot com. And for more content on sustainable aviation, please visit our website green.simplifying.com and join the movement. Sustainability in the Air is an original podcast by Simplifying. The show is produced by Juraj Toth in Slovakia. Dirk Singer is our Director of Sustainability, who leads research for each interviewee out of Greenwich, UK. Shubhadeep Pau is our Supervising Editor based out of Mumbai and Singapore. The articles are written by Ayushi Badola in Dehradun in India and Mira Hull in Montreal, Quebec. Creative design is led by Lihia Esteve in Montreal. Baiba Dreamen is the project director for the show based out of Valencia, Spain. Special thanks to Wendy Sim 
in Singapore. And I'm Shashank Nigam, the CEO of Simplifying and your host. Please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn.